welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, as we go to your word this morning, for wisdom, we ask that you would grant it to us. Everyone listening to this message, Lord, will hear wisdom cry out to them this morning. May we not be those who turn from it into calamity, and that will then one day seek it and not be able to find it. And so, Lord, we ask for a miracle this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be here as you, has pro- as you have promised, and that he might impart wisdom in life through your word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So last week we began our series in Proverbs. We saw that uh, wisdom begins with fearing the Lord, and that fearing the Lord is the, the hatred of evil. And today we're going to spend some time talking about how wisdom instructs us to be discerning individuals. And what is discernment? Uh, we live in a noisy age. Or gone are the days when most of us are ever really, at any point, unplugged. All right? We have constant distractions reaching us all the time. Uh, I go about my life, I see people distracted um, from everything. I see people all the time on the freeway looking down at their phone as they're, as they're going. Uh, we feel that pull all the time. Uh, just about all of us in this room know that our addiction to our phones is not good. But we don't do anything about it. And I'm just as guilty as anyone else. We feel that pull all the time to the distraction, to the voices. We have never had more access to more information. And despite this, we have never been so ignorant. We have not grown in knowledge. We have not grown in wisdom. At your fingertips, you can access information. You can ask Siri. You can ask Google some random fact and it'll spit it out to you. But do you really know it? By just about every measurable, our common sense is fading Our reading comprehension is pretty much non-existence. We can only have an attention span of about 250 characters or less. And so we have very important discussions hashed out over things like Twitter or whatever it's called now. Every age has its challenges. Every single one. Before the advent of the internet and social media, we had select media. We would call them legacy media. And those few news outlets, they controlled everything. Right? They deemed what was newsworthy. And so for that reason, the news, no matter what channel you went to or what newspaper you read, was largely uh, the same. It was uniform. It was controllable. There were gatekeepers and shapers of opinions. 
The drawbacks to that are, well, rather obvious, and you know them all. And yet, those select media have been replaced with what we could call a legion of voices through the internet. Some of them have been a good check on mainstream control, but at other times we have simply replaced 10 liars with 10,000 liars. And the voices just continue to multiply. Moreover, the connectedness of our day through technology has brought to us at least two major challenges. You have all of this access to things all of the time. But there are two major drawbacks here. First, it has created within us an illusion of omnipresence and omniscience. That is, the idea that we can be present everywhere at all times and that we can know everything at all times. But we likely know less, and again, if we're being honest, because of things like our phones and our lack of self-control, we're often less present where we actually are than we should be. How many families have suffered from an absent mom, dad, or child because of a phone and the lack of self-control? The second drawback is technology and its alleged connectedness seems to not make us feel more connected, but actually amplify our loneliness. You can read all the, the studies you want on this, but it's really a shallow world where all of your friends are found in likes and retweet tweets or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever it is. This is the paradox we live in. Like We're connected all the time, but we don't know how to connect with people right in front of us. And in this world, it's never been easier to beam foolishness into your heart and into your home. There have always been, and there always will be, until Christ returns, competing voices. It's just gotten a lot easier to hear all of them. It's gotten a lot easier to find them than it used to be. And on top of that, all of them can be now dressed up with all of the glitz and glamour of modern technology. I mean, sometimes I see people in public spaces, they got their phone set up and they're doing something for TikTok or Twitter and I'm like, do you realize how stupid you look? But the stupider you look, the more shares you'll get. This is, this is the age we live in. And this is a call for a need of discernment to be able to tell what is wise, what is foolish, what is true, what is false. Wisdom begins, as I said, with the fear of the Lord and an earnest yearning for wisdom. And it comes by not listening to yourself, but listening to an outside standard, the Lord, and rejecting folly. Few things, I know I've said this to you before, but I'm going to hammer it home today. Few things are more important to your life, to the life of your children, than who you let speak into your life. I don't take my job as your pastor lightly. For whatever reason, you guys have said, I'm going to let Levi speak into my life. Who you choose to let speak into your life is one of the most important things you can decide. Who do you go to for counsel, for affirmation? There are certainly no shortage of counselors out there today. But there is certainly a shortage of wisdom. And so today we're going to examine two competing voices. Wisdom and folly, what their characteristics are so that you can discern between the two, and then how to discern between them. And I'm going to end this in a somewhat 
untypical way that I normally do. I'm going to conclude with some really practical, and they may even seem like trite examples, to kind of help you practice discernment in your life. And um, I cut a lot out of the sermon already. It's, it's still long, so bear with me. Bear with me. Proverbs 1, 8-29 through 29 begins by instructing children to listen to the wisdom of their parents. It says that this wisdom, the words of your parents, are like jewelry that will adorn a young man. So contrary to the, to the wisdom of our day, the old do in general no better than the young. Like this is how backwards our, our culture is right now. It is always the young who are viewed as they know what's going on and the old people are out of touch. Right? Proverbs starts somewhere different. The old have more experience in this world. They know in general more than you. Are there such things as old fools? Yes. Are there such things as wise young people? Yes. But as a broad picture here, the old do know a little bit better than the young. So, this is a, so there is no, though, here, guarantee that there aren't such a thing, for example, as destructive parents out there who train their children up in wickedness and folly. All you have to do is to spend a little bit of time looking at the parents uh, of the uh, children who often describe themselves as transgender. And what you will often find, and others have pointed this out, is what we would call devouring mothers. Their mothers are often encouraging and pushing them to this. And so these devouring mothers feed their children to the transgender dragon in the name of love, acceptance, progress, and whatever nice-sounding words you can put on mutilation. So, children, listen to your parents, unless your parent is an utter fool. But then in verse 10, we are introduced to the first voice, the first competing voice, folly or wickedness or sinners. Listen to these words. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. The voice of folly, the voice of sinners, seeks to, Solomon tells us, entice us. And then he commands his sons, do not consent. Do not go that way. But we should note that our folly is appealing Precisely because it is enticing. There's something inside us that wants it to be true. There's something inside us that wants the thing that is promised. For example, pornography is enticing because we have a desire for sex. If we didn't have that desire, it wouldn't be enticing. What is promised here, unjust gain through robbery, is enticing because we desire to have good and valuable things. Who doesn't want that? Well, the sinner comes up and says, I can show you how to get that. Gossip is enticing because it helps you to feel better about yourself by putting someone else in their place. Right? This is how sin works. It is enticing because it appeals to something within you. Foolishness is dangerous because it is initially appealing. At first blush, it makes sense to an extent. It appears logical to an extent. Conversely, we also see a, a second voice vying for our allegiance, and that is the voice of wisdom. Skip down to verses 20 
through 21. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. There she is, wisdom, in all of her glory, standing out in public, crying out above the noise. Saying, hey, listen to me. Listen to me, please, just listen. Here I am. Don't pay attention to that other voice. Listen to me. And the picture painted here is somewhat foreboding because while foolishness entices us, wisdom is often ignored. There she is in public, a loud, noisy street. She can be easily passed by and ignored. And the book of Proverbs then lays out for us that there are really two paths in life, wisdom or folly, two competing worldviews or religions, two ways to live. And it's true that as Christians, we often jump back and forth between the two ways because none of us are, are perfect at this point. But you will be, in general, on one path or the other. And the longer you stay on the path of foolishness, the worse things will get for you. That's why we come together every Sunday and I say, here, repent of your sins. Get off that stupid path. Get back on the right one. We need to train our hearts and our minds to be able to discern or to tell the difference between the two voices. Easy to say, hard to figure out. So how do you train yourself to not be enticed by lies and to instead hear wisdom in the noisy street, in the marketplace, over the chaos? Well, we're going to walk through that here with some characteristics. Solomon gives us characteristics here of foolishness and of wisdom. So I have for you five, five identifiers of foolishness in this passage. So if you want to know what, what is foolishness and how it generally operates, Solomon gives it to you here. And the first is this. Folly entices, as I said, toward evil. Right? Wisdom and foolishness are moral categories. Right? To be wise is to fear the Lord, it is to hate evil. To be unwise is to not fear God and to love evil. And so, folly often tricks us or deceives us by telling us that the sin isn't wrong, it's worth it, you deserve it, or you have a right to be happy. And therefore, this thing will make you happy. I'll steal this thing, I'll go to that website, I'll sleep with this person, because you know what? God doesn't care, he just wants me to be happy. That's the greatest thing in life, is if I'm happy and, and God wants me to be happy. The human heart, though, is desperately sick. It desperately wants happiness and will often justify just about any absurdity to give it. And this is why we're easy targets. Here the temptation that Solomon lists is to steal and to kill. It's worth it, it says. It says, hey, if you come along with me, we can steal all this stuff, we can get into their property, have it all, and guess what? We'll even have a common purse and we'll share it. So why don't you come along with me and we'll do all of these evil things and we'll be rich will be filthy, stinking rich. Don't think people still don't think this way. This is, in essence, the very driving force of socialism and communism. Right? We just take out all the rich people. We can have a common person. We can have it all. This is what the Bolshevik re revolution was. We killed, or they killed millions of people. Said so we're gonna, we're gonna have it all. You guys know how that ended, right? Hundreds of millions of people killed. They didn't get it all. Like, the wealth actually got more concentrated by the people in power. 
communism is a, it's a lie. Closer to home, we allow shoplifting and stealing today in the name of justice. Like, we're not going to prosecute these people because of equity. There's a common purse here. And it's, we're all going to be better for it. No, you won't. It sounds plausible if you're not thinking. Second, foolishness is selfish and self-centered. The heart of folly is the pursuit of yourself at the cost of everyone else. Note in verse 11, these actions of stealing and killing are done without a justified reason. And then verse 13 explains that their desire for good trumps the rights of others. I don't care what I do to this other person as long as I, I get what I want. That's the heart of selfishness. It's the false gospel of our day that my personal feelings of happiness must be enshrined upon the throne and you either bow down or you're a toxic person and I can't talk to you because you won't affirm me. These things don't work. Third, foolishness uh, is um, to the simple, that the simple love their simpleness. Right? When you're a simple person or a foolish person, you, you love being foolish. Look at verse 22. This is wisdom speaking to the fools. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge. To put it in modern terminology, sinners take pride in their sin. They try to turn it into a virtue. They don't want wisdom. They want evil. This is the message, again, that fills many of our TikTok and uh, YouTube videos. And these will often get millions of likes and shares by being a fool. And we have a whole category of people who exist today who are are literally called influencers. Some of them are actually pretty good, but most of them are not. Right? They influence us. They're a voice out there saying, be like me. Please don't. <laughs> don't be like them. Fourth, folly does, not, or does provide short-term gains or enjoyment. Sin brings with it generally an immediate pleasure or gain. You get the items. You've received the stolen goods. You get the forbidden sexual gratification. It feels good for now. That's why it's enticing. Fifth, final characteristic of, fo of folly. It's a trap. I feel like that character I'm from Star Wars. Says, it's a trap! Look at verses 15 through 19. My son, do not walk with them. That's the wicked or the foolish. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. God through Solomon wants you to hear this today. That when you lay these snares, if you lay these strap, or, or traps, and you think you're going to catch someone else in it, God has said, I'm going to catch you in it. You are going to be the one who has the noose tightened around his neck. Or as Jesus said, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Those who live by seeking the self, thinking it will 
fulfill them actually end up with a very low view of the self and depressed. Those who make their fortune off of dishonest gain at the expense of everyone else eventually lose it. We could give you a million examples from world history on this. And so my counsel to you is as simple as it is profound. Don't do it. Don't go that way. Foolishness is its own trap. It's a lie. It's death. And the end of the path is not happiness. I'll give you some, some examples I, I watched play out recently in broader culture. I watched uh, two competing narratives that, that hit the headlines in different ways. There was another fum- famous uh, young lady, beautiful actress, who got divorced. And she put out some big video and it got millions of shares and likes and whatnot. And she justified why divorce was actually a good thing. And then some more famous, young, beautiful women chimed in and said, uh, you should, as a young woman, get as married and divorced as often as you can. Right? Like, this is the wisdom of our day. Um, that this will actually make you happy. Another famous, beautiful woman chimed in and says, get married, then get divorced, divorced so you can be free to party and focus on you as much as you want. Contrary to that, a study was found on the pages of the Wall Street Journal that, said, that had this, and this is not a standalone study, the happiest people in the world by a wide margin, you want to know what's most likely to make you happy in this life? Are older married women. That is, women who've gotten married and stayed married. This backs up years and years. Like this cuts across all racial and income demographics. Like the happiest thing you could do, the thing that you can do to make you the happiest is to get married, stay married, and have kids. And yet our kids are sold the exact opposite. That uh, the best way to be happy is to delay marriage, to not have kids. Kids are an anchor around your feet that will not let you be happy. Another study said young women who get married, young women who get married and have kids young are way happier than their single and childless um, peers of the same age. You won't find that in Cosmopolitan. You won't find it on Twitter or TikTok. But if you read the sociological stuff, like, this is actually how life works because God designed it that way. Our young people have been sold a bill of goods that you'll be happy if you stay single, if you climb the corporate ladder, if you work for a business who doesn't care about you, and if you don't have children to hold you back, then you will be happy. Because somehow, it is liberating and freeing, especially for our young women are told this, it is liberating and freeing to work to make money for a faceless Fortune 500 company, but it's slavery and degrading to work for your own family. And there is wisdom standing at the street corner and she is crying out above all the chaos if you would but listen to her. Competing voices. There's wisdom. She's standing there. In God's word, she's standing there. In reality, she's standing there saying, hey, this is what actually produces a good life. But we don't want to hear it. So I'll say it again on behalf of Solomon and on behalf of God because I love you and I want what's best for you, don't go that way. If you do, you are laying the snare around your own neck that will tighten around it and kill you. Characteristics of wisdom's call, verses 20 and following. I have four of them. First, wisdom's call is public 
and accessible to everyone. All of us live in God's world, and all of us can see causes and effects. We can all see, for example, being addicted to drugs has negative effects. We can all see that smoking will probably give you lung cancer and kill you. We can all see that the more selfish you are, the more lonely you will become because no one will want to hang out with you because all you care about is you. We can all see that being a drunkard does not lead to a good life. It's public. It's accessible. We know these things because we live in God's world and there is such a thing as natural revelation. And yet, some persist. Young men and young women, one of the things you can do to learn to be wise is to look at people who are older than you who have ruined their lives. How did they get there? Don't do that. Profound, I know. Look at people who have good lives. How did they do that? Be like them. We read of wisdom calling out publicly, loudly, over the noise. But I think perhaps the most heart-wrenching verse is verse 24 where wisdom says this, Because I have called, and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded. I'm like, there's this gut-wrenching picture that wisdom is literally in the streets, pleading with people, holding out her hand, just please listen to me. Just, just listen for a little bit. And no one takes her hand. They just go about their day. If you can take anything from Proverbs chapter 1 is, just don't do that. Second, wisdom is life-giving. Verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. Wisdom is not here to just say, I told you so, when you made a mistake, or to be a critic. It is a gift given for your good. She literally calls here, turn. Turn from your current folly, turn to me, and I will pour out my Spirit upon you, and you will be blessed. Folly destroys, wisdom gives life. Third, when we reject wisdom's open call, we are worthy of scorn and mockery. Verses 25-26. through 26, Because you have ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity and I will mock when terror strikes you. To take pride in foolishness and then to suffer the consequences is a divine comedy. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. It's not as if we have not been warned. It is laughable for fallible and finite humans to pretend that they can play God. To pretend like they can go remake the world by their own feelings and everything will be different. It is like if a little child cut out his own cardboard armor and made a cardboard sword and he walked up to a Navy destroyer, that is God, and says, Ha! I'm going to take you. It's laughable. Now imagine that if it's an adult. It's foolish. Fourth, rejection of wisdom inevitably leads to death. Verse 32, For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. When we turn from wisdom, we turn to death. So here comes the question then. How do you and I, we see there's two different voices in life. Wisdom, foolishness. 
on a practical basis, how do you and I tell the difference between the two? Right? Satan is, is cunning. He doesn't just come up to you and say, hey, this is what's wise. Don't fear God and love evil. Right? If that's how he operated, it wouldn't be much of a threat. We'd be like, well, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. He introduces these things much more subtly, much more cunningly. So how do I discern between wisdom and folly? How do I teach my children to discern, or discern between wisdom and folly? Proverbs 14, 15 through 16, I think, gives us a good principle for how to do that. Solomon writes this, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Listen to this again. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. There is a gullible nature to being a fool. There is a passiveness to being a fool. It is to receive instruction blindly. It is to be tossed to and fro by whatever the latest thing is. Wisdom, contrary to this, is thoughtful. It is active. It gives consideration to whatever it is being told. The fool is a passive receiver of information and then becomes reckless in his decisions. The wise man gives careful thought to information and then makes the right decision. Being wise, in other words, takes intentionality. If you want to be wise, you're going to have to stop and think from time to time. This is not a call for paralysis by analysis. It's a different kind of foolishness. But a careful and thoughtful life. To be wise is to filter everything through God's word. And it is to have a biblical view of your world and your life. To be wise in our age, with all of these competing voices is to simply not believe everything that you hear and to give thought to your steps. Measure everything by the, world, or the word of God. This was supposed to be the inheritance of evangelicalism in America. I'll give you a very brief history lesson here. After World War II, the American church split between the fundamentalists and the evangelicals. They, they parted ways. The fundamentalists wanted to withdraw from society and culture, and they wanted to do that by building walls around themselves. And they often then would add biblical or add commands to the Bible that weren't there. Don't, uh, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. Something like that. They were the uh, Benedict option of their time. And their movement and their generation is absolutely in shambles today. They built all of these walls around themselves to protect themselves from society. The walls did not work. The walls did not protect their children from the voice of folly. In fact, it's often the children of fundamentalists who make the, the worst unbelievers. Walls are not sufficient. The evangelicals, in contrast to this, wanted to engage and transform culture. I believe the evangelicals were right, but their execution was absolutely wretched and terrible. 
they often were transformed by culture instead of transforming culture. The real evangelical and reformational spirit seeks to transform and renew all of life through the gospel. To engage and transform culture, not to follow and be conformed. So contrary to what people tell you, those who want to bring all of Christ to all of life aren't the fundamentalists, they're the evangelicals. It's those who want to withdraw from culture, who call themselves evangelicals, who are trying something that didn't work and never will. The evangelical spirit is found in the heirs of people like Francis Schaeffer and Bonson, people today like Sandlin and Wilson and others who seek to transform and renew. Those who fall into pietism and withdrawal are the new fundamentalists in that sense. Wisdom tells us to give careful consideration to the path before you, to the voices that speak to you. To be wise is to consider the ways of God or the ways of this world by the standard of God. And this is something I, I desperately want you to hear today. Do not be a passive intaker of information, of counsel, of entertainment, or of media. That is the path of foolishness. I know as a parent raising young children that the fundamentalist option sounds wonderful. Like I could build all of these walls around my children and I'll keep them safe from the world. It doesn't work that way. It never has. Worldview thinkers have been saying this for decades. A person's governing worldview or their belief system is more often caught than it is taught. You, you catch it. You don't actively think about it. More often than not, you just passively take it in and you start thinking like the world. And so I said at the outset, I want to end with some practical application. How do we live out this reformational and evangelical spirit? You can't just pull yourself completely out of the world. You can't just stop taking in media. You can't build walls around your kids in a world full of dragons. Because eventually they go outside the walls and the dragons eat them. You build some walls and then you, treat, you teach them to use a sword so when they get out into the world they can kill the dragons with a sword. That's a better defense than any, any wall will ever be. And so how do we practice discernment in an age of countless voices? How do I train my children to practice discernment? How do we avoid the temptation to just withdraw? Well, you do it by first not being a simpleton who believes everything. You need to teach your kids that even as they're watching Paw Patrol, you can't just take it in passively. As harmless as that show is, you don't want to train your children to just take it in and believe everything it says. You should begin by noting that every song, every story teaches something. What is music? Like, why do you like the songs that you like? Why do they get stuck in your head? Well, some of them get stuck in your head because they're really annoying. But <laughs> why, why do you have favorite songs? What, what is music? Music is something that our soul identifies with and we lift it up to. Like when I'm singing a song, when I'm sad and I want to hear a sad song, I'm identifying with the song and I'm lifting up myself to that song. The vapid nature of pop music 
has people singing their worldview all the time. I listen to pop music mainly for this reason, because it tells me in very short three-minute segments what people think and what they believe, and I drive my wife nuts because I'm always analyzing lyrics and stuff. Like, did you catch that? As a song shoots up the charts, it's because people identify with it. There's something in there that they, that they like, and it's, it hits them right in their heart. And so the basic, here are some basic questions you and I should ask of any media we consume and that you should start asking your children as they consume. Don't build a wall, give them a sword. Ask yourself, what is, or what does this song or movie or story say is the good life? What promise is this giving to you? As you sing the song, what is it saying, this is true and good, that if you get this thing, you will be satisfied? Like every song is, is offering you something. And then you ask the follow-up question, is it true? Is that accurate? Sometimes unbelievers write songs that are accurate to this world. Right? Don't withdraw, engage. Ask yourself, why do you like this song? What is this song appealing to in my heart? It might be appealing to a sinful desire I have. Then I need to put it off. Why do I identify with it? For example, if, it's, if I identify with a sad song, it's probably because I have some mourning in my life I need to do. Why do angry young men in downtowns identify with gangster rap? Because they're angry and the music's angry. And as they turn it over in their hearts over and over again, they increase in anger. If you identify with a Taylor Swift's 100 different breakup songs, probably says something, and she's probably the most popular artist in our country. Right? But think about this. Let's say you're, you're in a relationship, and there's a Taylor Swift song out there you listen to, or some bad breakup song about how terrible the, the man was, and you keep singing it over and over again in your head, and you're churning it over and over again in your heart. How is that going to impact how you treat your husband? Is it going to help you to treat him better? Or is it going to train you to think that you're a victim? Again, you could hear Levi saying, you can never listen to Taylor Swift. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't be a passive intaker. Wisdom is those who don't believe everything they're told. Right? Take in media, sure, but don't just take it in thoughtlessly. How is it impacting me? For movies, ask your children, who's this, your favorite character in the show or this movie? Why? This will tell you what's going on in your child's heart. Why do I identify with this person? Could be good, could be bad. At a pivotal plot point, ask your child, did this person make the right decision there or the wrong decision? Why? You're training them to, as they're taking in the story that's telling them something about the world, to actively process it instead of just blindly take it in as truth. Let me give you some, some brief examples here. What is the core difference between the fantasy worlds of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings? Now we're right in Levi's sweet spot. We're nerding out. What's the core difference? It's not witchcraft and the occult. It's far more subtle than that. Both worlds actually do a really good job of painting a picture that absolute ex evil exists and should be resisted and defeated. I've enjoyed both sets of books and movies for what they are. In Harry Potter's world, the solution, if you read the books, is often found within in the Lord of the Rings, in Tolkien's world, 
the main threat is often found within. It's that you're going to be corrupted by the ring and your desires. In the Lord of the Rings, the chief evil is manifested in a lust for absolute power and control. So the solution is personal rejection of power. A very Christian theme. Tolkien explains that even Frodo cannot defeat evil himself, and so Gollum has to slip accidentally, or as Tolkien says, a supernatural slipping. God had to do something to defeat evil. Harry Potter, the chief evil, is displayed in discrimination. The main bad guy, he's seeking pure blood and excluding others. And the evil in the book is evil. It's wholly evil. But you'll note that that worldview fits very well with our praise of tolerance and inclusivity and all of that. Rowling reflects her day and her thinking. The two stories reflect two different types of primary evil. Let me give you a more lighthearted example, especially for you who have children. The Lion King, one of the greatest children movies ever. Most children just take that movie in thoughtlessly. But if you do that, you miss a profound lesson, the lessons of it. For example, the main character, Simba, he sings a song at the beginning of the movie saying, I just can't wait to be king. And you can, it's a catchy tune. You can sing it all along, right? I got a kid dancing in the back already, right? But if you're paying attention to the story, it's the song's there to show you how selfish and immature Simba is. It's not actually a good song. It's a song to expose how, how immature and self-centered he is. And it's actually a parallel to the main bad guy's song. Both of them sing about how they want to be king. One's a bad guy and one's going to change and he's going to become he's going to become good. You can take another song from later on, another catchy tune, Hakuna Matata, which means no worries. So after his dad is killed by his uncle, he flees to the wilderness and they said, "Here's your solution to life. No worries. Just pretend like you don't have any problems." Again, you could passively take that in and think that that's the good thing, but then later on in the story, somebody comes and tells Simba, "You can't do that. You can't run from your past." And in fact, the fact that you've been ignoring your problems, your problems are still there, and all of your obligations haven't been fulfilled, and people are suffering because you won't deal with your problems. You guys thought you were just watching kids' movies. Right? The people on the left, Disney has realized this far sooner than you and I have been. Like The battleground of our day today is kids' movies and kids' shows because they know they teach. Right? They know that songs and movies and TV shows teach. So what can you do? Build a wall around your kids and never let them watch any movies. I've seen what that happens to kids. They go to college and they watch every movie and they're not prepared for any of them. Obviously, there's age-appropriate considerations here. But wisdom is found in being discerning and not taking in everything as if it is true. Train yourself in that. Train your children in that. Stories teach. Songs teach. Teach, implement discernment when you take in anything, and that includes the sermons of your pastor. Don't be a passive receiver. Have your Bible open. You have a standard to judge by. Until Christ returns, we are going to be stuck with at least two voices out there and in here. Careless passivity will not help you. You must engage everything you take in. So don't go the way of foolishness. Don't trust your heart. Don't be passive in what you consume. But listen to the voice of wisdom, for she points 
to Christ and life eternal. Wisdom calls out to us in the street. The only question is, will we hear her or not? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your word and that in it we have life and wisdom. May you equip us this day to take small steps towards walking on the path of wisdom. May we not be passive intakers of knowledge, of reading, of entertainment, of podcasts, of songs, and may we not also just withdraw into our own walled-off communities. But may we be those who bear the sword of your word and that in it we might declare Christ to a dying world. Lord, we cannot do it on our own. Grant us your spirit. We hear wisdom calling in the streets, Lord, and we say we want to listen. So give us ears to listen this morning. Amen.